And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Let's try this again. Oh, my goodness. All right. So here in the studio, we have these little boxes that connect to the internet. And I guess maybe as much as we use them here, we wear them out. So. <laughs> Not good. So anyway, welcome everybody, and we are uh, we are very late now, uh, but here we go. Uh, Dan Danford and Matthew Stevens joining us today for Money Talk, because it is the first Monday of the month, and uh, uh, what a, what a day, what a day, what a day, right? <laughs> welcome, gentlemen. Yes, money, money, money Talk ought to be uh, focused on what it costs to replace things that wear out. Uh, no kidding, right? Well, see, and and you know, we've been talking about uh, replacing the box, and there's a there's a Spectrum Internet shop not too far from here, and we keep talking about it, and it just haven't done it yet. It's on my to do list, along with clearing right. out the email, and yeah. what's what's the other? There was another one. Uh, there was another one I was going to try to get to this year sometime. So, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things. Uh, how how are you guys doing? Your holidays doing well? You guys survived, obviously. So how, how are things? Glad to be into a new year. <laughs> well, Always, so. now, as I posted over on Facebook, remember, bad things, bad news happens in three. We had 2020, 2021, 2022. So I don't I don't think we're out of the worst of it yet. Well, I hope you're wrong. <laughs> I do too. I really do. Yeah. Uh, so any anyway, all of you who are still with us uh, live, uh, thanks very much for your patience. We do appreciate you being here, and uh, we do have all of the socials, all the emails. We've got a newsletter that I actually managed to get out on the first. So I'm going to try to do better about that. And speaking of socials, I'm seeing a lot of chatter about Getter. Being the new one, everybody is jumping on to it. I've seen a couple of people saying, oh, well, you know, it's got Chinese money. Watch out. Hang on. But I want to I want to start there because it leads into a broader topic there. And this proliferation of alt tech, we've got, uh, you know, Getter is the new one. But we've got Parler and Gab and MeWe and Minds and all these other things. Substack. Substack and and yes, that's going to be that's going to be one that we get into here. Substack, Patreon, the biggest, well, big for media. But is this? I've seen people talking about you know the fact that yes, you can get all of these accounts on all of these alt tech uh, platforms, but we're still using Twitter. At at how, how do we define? the critical mass point where people start to use these other these other platforms as opposed to Twitter. I mean, there was one point where suddenly we had that tipping point that now Facebook was the biggest thing and MySpace went away. Yeah, the question... The, the, I'm not sure those things are predictable in advance. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you've got a bunch of different platforms out there that are competing and... Uh, you know, it is an issue of critical mass, but you just don't know when that's going to happen or, or which one's going to be chosen. I think that happens with all new technology, actually, is, you know, there are a bunch of different things and they all have different bells and whistles and stuff. And it just becomes, you know, which ones people like. And I'm not sure that's easy to define uh, early on. Well, and, and I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, you know, it just to look at the kind of accounts that are on all of the different ones they are definitely right. they are definitely developing their own personalities each one of them um miwi feels to me a little bit more most like facebook uh in terms of what kinds of posts and and everything is doing gab and parlor and getter all seem like in minds they all seem like they want to take up space in the in the twitter competition but <laughs> if I look at these, Minds and Gab, 
seem to be a little bit dominated by uh, the conspiracy theory crowds more than anything else. Parler, of course, is political. Getter is political. But it's it, but it. I have to wonder if that's just because the early adopters are finding, yep. you know, Twitter is not a safe platform anymore. Of course, you know, is is as they deplatform people and ban people, and it's like, okay, well, we've got to find alternatives. But how do you? It's it's a habit thing, you know. I mean, we're on Twitter, we're and I and I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to get another social media platform, another social media account. You know, we've talked about, oh, do we want to to be in the getter space or not? I I think you get into the getter space or any other when you feel like you have to. Yeah. Uh, and I I kind of wonder, you know, kind of related subject. Looking at the you know the cable news business with CN uh, with you know MSNBC and CNN and Fox. Yeah. You know, I also besides just the political slant on all of it, I wonder when fatigue catches in. You know, I mean, I wonder when even the loyal Fox watchers decide i'm tired of spending every evening listening to political junk yeah so and i i just think we may not be there yet but you've already seen massive viewership drops at cnn and msnbc and uh, fox is dominating but i'm even wondering you know how long how long do people watch tucker carlson and 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 sean hannity i mean until they just get tired of hearing it you know well, how long till someone offers a similar product on another network? Yeah, I always wonder about that. Yeah. Well, the other the other part of that because you have these you have these uh, situations where you know your your audience gets segmented out and divided out and and you're, here's a niche and there's a niche and there's a niche and. It, it's almost like we don't have um, we don't have a broad reach anymore, and it's not just it's just not just news media. It's it's everything. It's comic books. It's video games. It's, we're we're only going to appeal to this one little demographic segment here in order to try to uh, attract, you know. Well, here, the uh, number one late night comedy show is over the 1030 show is uh, Greg Gutfeld. That's because the other ones all sound about the same. Greg's different and he would attract a different audience. Yeah. I think he's probably the least known of any of them. But it is uh, the number one show in that time slot. But it's kind of amazing. I was shocked when I heard that. I don't personally care for the show very much, but I think he can be kind of amusing. Of but yeah. I, and I think that's true, that segmentation thing. I mean, that's what they said about uh, television for years was, you know, we used to just have the three or four channels. Then we went to cable and now you've segmented it down to the point. And the interesting thing is, is some segments are way more profitable than others. Mm-hmm. It, it's the same thing I used to tell. We live in a, or I used to live in, I work in a small town in uh, Missouri, about 70,000 people. And, you know, people are always saying, well, we need one of these stores or we need one of those stores or whatever it is, you know. And I try to explain to them that, you know, that kind of store appeals to, you know, 5% of the population. Well, 5% of the population in Kansas City or St. Louis may be a nice living for somebody. 5% of a town of 70,000 just doesn't generate enough revenue to, to make it work. And the same thing's true with a lot of these market segments on, I don't know whether it's cable or, or you talk about the gaming and all that kind of stuff. You have to have enough people paying to make it work. And some things will and some things won't. Well, and that uh, that brings me to this, this uh, statistic that I ran across this morning looking at the Comics Gate stuff. Mm. You know, it's it's a very specific niche segment of the comic book audience. And, you know, I'm, I'm seeing here a, a thing that says 300, since 2018, 377 funded campaigns, uh, 240 creators, uh, $15.8 million 
in ComicsGate specific projects. That's not all of crowdfunding. That's not all of indie comics. That's just that particular segment. $15 million in the last three years. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, well, that's, I would say that's probably a successful run. And now you have, uh, uh, Matt, you, you mentioned Substack. Now you have <clears throat> a number of comics creators, professionals, people who have been associated with DC and Marvel especially, now jumping to Substack. They're doing Patreon. They're doing Kickstarter and Indiegogo crowdfunding campaigns. So let me, let me broaden the context here. <clears throat> in, from an investment side of things, from a, from a I'm going to put my money in this company point of view, when you And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi for Me Radio is live from the bunker. <laughs> Let's try this again. Oh, my goodness. All right, so here in the studio, we have these little boxes that connect to the internet, and I guess maybe as much as we use them here, we wear them out. So. <laughs> Not good. So anyway, welcome everybody, and we are uh, we are very late now, uh, but here we go. Uh, Dan Danver and Matthew Stevens joining us today for Money Talk, because it is the first Monday of the month, and uh, 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 what, a, what a day, what a day, what a day, right? <laughs> welcome, gentlemen. Money, money, money Talk ought to be uh, focused on what it costs to replace things that wear out. Uh, no kidding, right? Well, see, and, and you know, we've been talking about uh, replacing the box, and there's a there's a Spectrum Internet shop not too far from here, and we keep talking about it, and it just haven't done it yet. It's on my to-do list, along with clearing right. out my email, and yeah. what's, what's the other? There was another one. Uh, there was another one I was going to try to get to this year sometime. So, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things. Uh, how how are you guys doing? Your holidays doing well? You guys survived, obviously. So how, how are things? Glad to be into a new year. <laughs> well, Always, so. now, as I posted over on Facebook, remember, bad things, bad news happens in three. We had 2020, 2021, 2022. So I don't I don't think, I don't think we're out of the worst of it yet. Well, I hope you're wrong. <laughs> I do too. I really do. Yeah. Uh, so any anyway, all of you who are still with us uh, live, uh, thanks very much for your patience. We do appreciate you being here. And uh, we do have all of the socials, all the emails. We've got a newsletter that I actually managed to get out on the first. So I'm going to try to do better about that. And speaking of socials, I'm seeing a lot of chatter about Getter. Being the new one, everybody is jumping on to it. I've seen a couple of people saying, oh, well, you know, it's got Chinese money. Watch out. Hang on. But I want to I want to start there because it leads into a broader topic there. And this proliferation of alt tech, we've got, uh, you know, Getter is the new one. But we've got Parler and Gab and MeWe and Minds and all these other things. Substack. Substack and and yes, that's going to be that's going to be one that we get into here. Substack, Patreon, the biggest, well, big for media. But is this? I've seen people talking about you know the fact that yes, you can get all of these accounts on all of these alt tech uh, platforms, but we're still using Twitter. At at how do we define? the critical mass point where people start to use these other these other platforms as opposed to Twitter. I mean, there was one point where suddenly we had that tipping point that now Facebook was the biggest thing and MySpace went away. Yeah, the question, the, the, I'm not sure those things are predictable in advance. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you've got a bunch of different platforms out there that are competing and, uh, you know, 
it is an issue of critical mass, but you just don't know when that's going to happen or, or which one's going to be chosen. I think that happens with all new technology, actually, is, you know, there are a bunch of different things and they all have different bells and whistles and stuff. And it just becomes, you know, which ones people like. And I'm not sure that's easy to define uh, early on. Well, and, and I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, you know, it just to look at the kind of accounts that are on all of the different ones they are definitely right. they are definitely developing their own personalities each one of them um we feels to me a little bit more most like facebook uh in terms of what kinds of posts and and everything is doing gab and parlor and getter all seem like in minds they all seem like they want to take up space in the in the twitter competition but <laughs> if I look at these, Minds and Gab seem to be a little bit dominated by uh, the conspiracy theory crowds more than anything else. Parlor, of course, is political. Getter is political. But it's it. But it. I have to wonder if that's just because the early adopters are finding, yep. you know. Twitter is not a safe platform anymore. Of course, you know, as, as, as they deplatform people and ban people, and it's like, okay, well, we've got to find alternatives. But how do you, it's, it's a habit thing, you know? I mean, we're on Twitter, we're, and, I, and I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to get another social media platform, another social media account. You know, we've talked about, oh, do we want to, to be in the getter space or not? I I think you get into the getter space or any other when you feel like you have to. Yeah. Uh, and I, I kind of wonder, you know, kind of related subject, looking at the, you know, the cable news business with CN, with, you know, MSNBC and CNN and Fox. Yeah. You know, I also, besides just the political slant on all of it, I wonder when fatigue catches in you know i mean i wonder when even the loyal fox watchers decide i'm tired of spending every evening listening to political junk yeah so and i i just think we may not be there yet but you've already seen massive viewership drops at cnn and msnbc and uh, Fox is dominating, but I'm even wondering, you know, how long, how long do people watch Tucker Carlson and, and, and Sean I mean, Hannity, I mean, until they just get tired of hearing it, you know? Well, how long till someone offers a similar product on another network? Yeah. I always wonder about that. Yeah. Well, the other the other part of that, because you have these you have these uh, situations where you know your your audience gets segmented out and divided out and and you here's a niche and there's a niche and there's a niche and it it's almost like we don't have um we don't have a broad reach anymore and it's not just it's just not just news media it's it's everything it's comic books it's video games it's, we're we're only going to appeal to this one little demographic segment here in order to try to uh, attract, you know, well, here. The uh, number one late night comedy show is, over the 1030 show, is uh, Greg Gutfeld. That's because the other ones all sound about the same. Greg's different and he would attract a different audience. No. I think he's probably the least known of any of them. But it is uh, the number one show in that time slot. But it's kind of amazing. I was shocked when I heard that. I don't personally care for the show very much, but I think he can be kind of amusing. Of but yeah, I and I think that's true. That segmentation thing. I mean, that's what they said about uh, television for years. Was you know we used to just have the three or four channels, then we went to cable, and now you've segmented it down to the point. And the interesting thing is, is some segments are way more profitable than others. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing I used to tell. We live in a, or I used to live in, I work in a small town in uh, Missouri, about 70,000 people. And, you know, people are always saying, well, we need one of these stores or we need one of those stores or whatever it is, you know. And I try to explain to them that, you know, that kind of store <coughs> appeals to, you know, 5% of the population. 
well, 5% of the population in Kansas City or St. Louis may be a nice living for somebody. 5% of a town of 70,000 just doesn't generate enough revenue to, yeah. to make it work. And the same thing's true with a lot of these market segments on, I don't know whether it's cable or, or you talk about the gaming and all that kind of stuff. You have to have enough people paying to make it work. And some things will and some things won't. Well, and that uh, that brings me to this this uh, statistic that I ran across this morning, looking at the Comics Gate stuff. Mm. You know, it's it's a very specific niche segment of the comic book audience, and you know, I'm I'm seeing here a, a thing that says three hundred since 2018, 377 funded campaigns, uh, 240 creators, uh, fifteen. Point eight million dollars in ComicsGate specific projects. That's not all of crowdfunding. That's not all of indie comics. That's just that particular segment. Fifteen million dollars in the last three years. And I'm looking at that. And I'm thinking, well, that's. I would say that's probably a successful run. And now you have, uh, uh, Matt, you, you mentioned Substack. Now you have <clears throat> a number of comics creators, professionals, people who have been associated with DC and Marvel especially, now jumping to Substack. They're doing Patreon. They're doing Kickstarter and Indiegogo crowdfunding campaigns. So let me, let me broaden the context here. <clears throat> in, from an investment side of things, from a, from a I'm going to put my money in this company point of view, when you have a corporation and they have rock star employees, these are, these are the people who are responsible for the success of everything that that company has done. And everybody in that industry knows it. These are your stars. They can write their own ticket. They do whatever they need to do, whatever they want to. And they all abandon ship within a month of each other. And they go do their own thing, whether they're jumping to another company or they start their own company. I mean, we see this with talent agencies, for, for example, where these rock star talent agents will jump from Endeavor to creative artists and, and all of these kind of things. What does that say to investors when a company loses a, a, a sizable, significant block of talent that makes that company go? Well, it says they're not treating their talent properly, certainly, or there's someone else offer, is offering a better deal, obviously. Yeah. Um, and but it would be an opportunity for whoever receives them because the followers will follow and other artists will follow. Um, I'm just looking here at the number of social network users worldwide from 2017. It went from 2.86 billion to four and a half billion. Wow. Wow. Over a, seven-year period that's i mean there's a lot of growth coming up and I, they're probably all going to previous networks but that's going to dislodge people yeah. the more people get on facebook the less pleasant it is i think for an individual user and, uh, yeah i think it's more. it's a lot like it's all about advertising revenues mm -hmm. and you know uh as an as an advertiser and i've tried to explain this to people over the years too and sometimes they get it and sometimes they don't but you really don't want to pay to talk to people who aren't potential customers of yours. You know, that's the thing, uh, you know, television is fairly expensive or it used to be fairly expensive and you might talk to the biggest group of people, but if you only, if you have a specified niche, you know, I don't want to have to pay to talk to all those people. All I want to talk to is really my, the people who are my potential customers. Um, the more specific it is, the more valuable it is. And, you know, Facebook, uh, the real beauty behind Facebook and maybe Twitter and some of the others is that they can segment the users, you know? So I can, I can go to Facebook and I don't much, but I could say, you know, I only want to talk to the Facebook people who make a hundred thousand dollars a year and live in their own homes and drive certain brands of cars. And they can actually put my stuff up on their feet. I mean, that's the only ones I'm talking to. Uh, that's what makes it work. Um, well, there are just so few general products anymore. 
But when you run into a platform like Twitter or, or Facebook, their algorithms start to segment people and isolate right. people and separate people and, and pit each other against each other. I mean, you know, how many how many stories have we had about the radicalization and then we get fact checking and everything. Are you sure you want to post this? This could I think the new thing on Twitter, this could cause intense conversations it's like, OK, we're not children. We're no. not babies who need to be swaddled and mollycoddled. We're, you know, if you're going to be a grown-up, then be a grown-up. And <laughs> suck it up and, and understand that people are not going to like some of the things that you say and, and people are not going to like what you like, and, and that's fine. But we have, but, this, we have this atmosphere on, on, online where nobody can say anything offensive. And... I, you you got all of these alt tech platforms, and right now, you can say whatever you want, within reason. I mean, there are some things you don't want to you know sit there and say you know so and so needs to be executed or overthrow the government or anything like that. I mean, you're not going to solicit crimes or anything, but it it just doesn't feel like things are going to get any better, even with the alt tech platforms, because at some point. Those are probably going to do the same thing, only maybe in a different way. We're going to we're going to continue to segment and and divide the population based on ideological differences, political differences, economic differences. You know, I see a lot of the the Skynet conspiracy thing where, you know, the social media profile determines how many privileges you're going to do. I mean, they're already doing that in China. People are talking about it coming over here. We see it with the, you know, the vaccination QR codes and all that kind of thing. You got to have, you know, papers, please, in order to get into a restaurant or, or a theater or, or, or that sort of thing. It just, it, it feels like we're in this weird space where nobody really seems to know what's going to be the next thing yet. I think that's true of technology, but I also think it's interesting. You know, we talk as a nation, we talk about how terrible McCarthyism was back in the forties and fifties. And, and I think most of that stuff, and I don't, you know, who knows what's going to happen next. I'm not pretending to do that. I'm just musing, (laughs) but my muse is people get tired of that too. (laughs) You know, how long do people just tolerate this divisiveness and everything until they just yawn and say, Hey, I'm done. I'm, you know, I'm not going to engage in that anymore. Well, and the so. other part, you know, the other side of this is if I'm if I'm dealing if I'm having to deal with all of that as a creator, as a as a person who's coming in and I'm writing I'm writing comic books, or I'm writing a video game, or or I'm writing a novel or whatever, and I have to deal with a lot of that negativity on social media, or I have to deal with that within the ranks of the company I work for, right. Now, suddenly, I've got all of these other options, and, and Substack now becomes this thing. And then I, I wonder how long those companies are going to last with the rock stars leaving. Right. Because you have Substack you know, setting up this whole new comics thing, and we've talked about this before, and a number of creators are going there, and there's this new one called Zest World that's going to be doing kind of the same sort of thing. It's creator-owned. It's, you know, you control your, your intellectual property. You're the one in charge. And then you have stories like what Ethan Van Skyver's been talking about with the ESG funds for equity and inclusion and diversity going to corporations from the government. And he's, he's making the claim that that's one of the reasons why we're seeing so much message fiction and, and identity politics in comic books right now is because they're getting money from the government to do this. And it's not just comic books. It's the government's giving money to companies to do this anywhere. And maybe, maybe we're seeing the bailout that DC and Marvel are not, going to survive this because you know we've got this news uh, about dark horse being pur- purchased by a swedish gaming company embracer and then we have uh we have idw 
Um, and, and if you look at the IDW numbers, $1.92 a share. Right. IDW Media Holdings has been, I mean, IDW Publishing as a division of IDW Media Holdings, they've been hemorrhaging money for years. And the entire company right now, $1.92 a share, this continues to crater. So let me ask you this, from an investment point of view, and I know we're just talking here, this is not official investment advice. Would something like this be an indication that IDW Media Holdings is dead, toxic, don't touch it, or is this an opportunity? Hey, this is $1.92. Maybe I ought to grab 100 shares and see what happens. Well, I look at their <laughs> revenues here. It might take a little bit. I see. I see you, have, you sent out a copy of the annual report. Um, I'd have to go through it and see if it's rising or falling. But, uh, but they're counting on... And and they're not the only ones. A lot of the comic books, you know, the, a lot of the a lot of the the complaints about comics has been you're all, you're all writing Netflix pitches. You're not writing comic books. And IDW especially, they set up their film and television division. They're looking for the media deals to adapt the things what they publish. Dark Horse, of course, has, has depended for so long on media tie-in licenses. Star Wars and Transformers and Doctor Who and all that kind of thing. They lost Star Wars when when Disney bought Lucasfilm and switched the license over to Marvel. But now Dark Horse is going to be publishing Star Wars comics again. I saw that. And things just continue to shift. But you've got these people like Scott Snyder and, and Sean Gordon Murphy and, and Stelfreeze and a lot of these guys saying, okay, we're, we're done with the big publishers. We're going to go do our own thing. That doesn't seem like it would be something that would help a company like IDW, for example. I think it has a lot to do with, you know, their business execution. So, I mean, that sounds like a great way to go, and maybe it is. But I also know Matt can tell you people who, you know, go off on their own and they're really talented, and it turns out that their talent doesn't translate into profitability, you know. Uh, that's one of the things that's kind of a – I mean, so let's say the top five guys from the New York Yankees say, you know what, we're tired of working in this, uh, this, this baseball association thing. Let's just, the four, five of us go off and, and uh, start our own thing. Right. Okay. Well, it turns out that for them to prosper, they really need the leagues and the structure and all that, because you can't do anything with just five guys. It just doesn't work. And the same thing's true. I, you know, I, I understand there are superstars and I never take anything away from the superstars. But at the same time, the talent that makes you a superstar isn't always the talent that makes you a ton of money. I mean, I, I turn that around with celebrities. I look at it just exactly the opposite way. When you look at the Taylor Swift and some of those other people that, you know, just own half the world, it's because they have both sets of skills. Yeah. You know, they, they, they have the business skills to go along with their talent. But that's pretty rare. I mean, it's really hard for somebody who is an artist to also be a promoter and a business manager and all that kind of stuff. So uh, these companies, I, I, you know, I think they're all interesting. And I, I, the, you know, in the investment business, you know, I've lived that. I, you worked for the big companies, went and broke off, started my own company, done pretty well over the time. But I can also tell you there are a number of people who've tried it and haven't been as successful yeah. because it's, just, it's not the same set of skills. So uh, <laughs> I, it, I think that kind of competition is good for the industry. But it's not necessarily a guarantee that you're going to make a ton of money. Yeah. Cam1138 makes a good point. It says there's a question whether they are superstars at all. It's not you. It's Batman. And, and that's that's another aspect of this. You know, right. Sean Gordon Murphy made his bones with Batman stories. Scott Snyder the same way. And that goes just so far where, you know, yeah, you're writing Batman. But, of course... You're writing Batman. You don't own Batman. DC Comics right. does. So you're going to make whatever it is they pay you to write or draw the Batman books. But only if it gets past a certain sales threshold do you start getting royalties on that particular issue. Yeah, and it's go. issue by issue by issue. And and if, if you don't sell more than 40000 I think is the threshold right now, 
you don't you only get what your base rate is for doing the book. You don't get any extra. And, and I think the other the other thing that happens, especially with artists, is that you know the public uh, tastes change. So somebody who and, and there are a lot of these people out there, and I, comic books and other things as well. But you know, they're everything works right for them in this moment of time. You know, I hit the right place, the right time, right story and everything. But then 10 years later, the public has sort of moved on to something else. And and I, I think that's a real struggle, especially with the corporations. You, mm -hmm. you have this this chunk of talent and they may be really, really good at what they do. But of course, there's other people knocking on the door all the time, trying to change the tastes and take advantage of new trends and all that kind of stuff. So, well, and and it's it's funny here. Robert says. Every time a white woman complains about a date, Taylor Swift gets another brick of gold. <laughs> and, well, and, and to your point, Dan, it's it's one of those things where, um, you know, you get you get these artists, you get these people who are the are the are the known quantities, the known names, and they go off on their own. And there are. You know, it, it won't work. It's not sustainable. We saw this a lot about uh, about com uh, indie comics, uh, indie comics in general, just crowdfunding. But now here we're going on three or four or five years. And, you know, they're making they're making bank. I mean, twenty five thousand backers and 15, 15 plus million dollars in the last three years. That's that's not that's not insignificant. And, you know, you talk about, well, the industry, you know, is 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 this size or this size or this size. I don't I don't think just looking at these numbers, it doesn't seem like you have to have a huge marketplace in order to make money. You just have to That's, have people that are willing to pay you money for whatever it is product you do and then deliver on what you promise. I agree with that. I mean, I think there are lots of, uh, you know, really small niche markets in all kinds of products and services and things that are extremely profitable. I mean, because they serve that particular niche at a level that nobody else does. Uh, but it, it's hard to scale. Yeah. Is what I would say is that I can, I can build a business that makes five or $10 million a year. And that's great. That's not what a major corporation is interested in. Five or ten million dollars isn't doesn't amount to very much. It's great for me, but it wouldn't necessarily work for Sony or Disney or someplace else. And to try to make it big enough to, uh, it just may not be possible yeah. based on the size of the you know niche. On that, the crowdfunding you mentioned, I would assume fifty or a hundred thousand dollars goes a long way towards creating a uh, comic book. So with one artist. Yeah. Well, and wouldn't go so far with a video game. We have well, we have a number of stories that have come out about, you know, the page rates that DC and Marvel's are are, are paying and they're not even maybe maybe poverty level. I mean, there's there's really not a whole lot of money to be made working for the big two publishers. And you could probably extend that down to IDW and Dark Horse and Image as the next one's Boom Studios. Um, what about has this, has this comment, a nice couple hundred backers or a thousand in your set for life as an indie creator. These people are finding success with a very small group of people relatively. It almost seems like this is going to, you know, we've talked about Substack being the new model, but any kind of indie funding model seems to be uh, you know seems to have more potential than working for the corporate guys and then the people that they're getting for the corporate guys are writing a bunch of self insert i'm going to put myself in the book and i'm going to date superman i'm going to date vixen i'm going to i'm going to you know I, I i turn my character gay because i'm gay you know all of this and they're not worried about what kind of stories they're telling and the editorial level of it uh, aren't catching any of these things and people are people are moving away from the corporate traditional publishing side of things and going to the indie stuff certainly true i i mean i think that's absolute so what does what does d if you've got if you've got a company and you've just lost your your star players what do you do to get because the audience is going to go with them 
You know, Scott Snyder's fans are going to go with Scott Snyder. Uh, you know, uh, Brian Stelfreeze's fans, they're going to go with, with him. You know, it, if you're DC or if you're Rockstar Games or you're um, Tor Publishing or whoever, and your star players go elsewhere, what do you do? How do you recover from that kind of thing if you don't have a deep bench of talent? Uh, I don't know. Can you? Is there? You think there's a way to develop uh, talent? Uh, I doubt that once somebody leaves, they'll come back to you. Followers go. I think they're going to stay. Yeah. And I, I think there's a. When I was in business school, of course, that's been a long, long time ago. But they used to talk about the phenomena, what they called the cash cow, which is you have this this company that's making a lot of money. Um, but but maybe you look at it and say, well, you know, this it, th- this part of the business really doesn't have a future beyond the next 10 or 15 years. Mm-hmm. So what you do is you stop putting more money into it, but you keep taking the revenues out of it. You know, at some point in time, I don't have to keep investing in stuff. I just count the money coming in the door. Yeah. And it depends if, if what you said earlier was and I like the point is that, you know, the corporation owns Batman. OK, Maybe the Batman stuff keeps selling, even if the quality of the product isn't as good as it used to be. I mean, so the guys left that were, you know, the main things that doesn't mean the corporation can't make a ton of money off that Batman franchise going forward, even without that same level of talent. Yeah. And so uh, it's possible that that could be pretty profitable. Well, and and what about makes a point gaming and movie crowdfunds will grow eventually as more true professionals get pushed out of the mainstream. And I'm looking at Kickstarter, for example, and, you know, I'm I'm just going through their comic stuff, but there are also short films, uh, web series, various different projects that are coming up on this stuff. Um, You know, I'm looking at uh, Indiegogo. Here's uh, here's another Another project from the Brightweisers, Johnny Phantasm is you know fifteen thousand dollars already, and they still have thirty days left. They're at seven hundred fifty-eight percent of their goal. I don't think this is uh, this is going away anytime soon uh, no, here. But, but what what happens is uh, is that the best and the brightest become the industry as as it goes forward. Yeah, you know, take take the the Cohen brothers in in movies. You know, they were cheap indie movies uh and now all of a sudden they are hollywood establishment you know it's the best and the brightest of these projects will turn into the industry of the future and they'll become the big guys and then people will be breaking away from them yeah i mean there's a, a cycle there robert says my sister is an editor at Doubleday random house she can't believe the contracts marvel offers charles schultz scott adams Calvin and Hobbes all sell comic books with massively better compensation. It, well, and and Charles Schultz is is dead. Calvin and Hobbes, you know, uh, uh, he hasn't. Watterson hasn't done anything new. Calvin and Hobbes in forever, even though well, he's collaborated with Berkeley Breathed over there on on the new Bloom County stuff because Hobbes showed up over there for a little while. They did a little bit of a crossover. And that's Watterson's participation, but he's not drawing anything new. And if they're still getting better deals than what the Marvel people are getting, I I don't I don't see where I would go to work for Marvel. I think you know this. I was just um, telling Matt earlier. I spent part of the holiday out in Colorado, uh, where we have a, a home, and it turns out that one of the two South Park guys grew up in my little town so i was looking into it and you know those two guys now they've been at it for uh, 25 years all with the same network Mm -hmm. they're in the article that i read not verifying it i'm just saying the article i read one of them's worth 600 million dollars and the other's worth 700 million dollars so that south park by itself just just those two guys Mm -hmm. is a billion and a half dollars out of the last 20 or 25 years and it's it's amazing well, and I'd heard something about, um, I want to say it was a, 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 a plan for Paramount Plus uh, for Trey and Matt to be the ones to save Paramount Plus. I mean, there's a new South Park project in, uh, in, the, in the works, 
at Star Trek, it doesn't look like it's going to be the golden goose that they were wanting it to be. And maybe Baby South Park becomes their next big thing. But CBS, you know, Viacom CBS is still in trouble. You know, they're they're scrambling for something that works because, you know, they're selling off they're selling off assets in order to buy their contract out with Netflix so they can drop they can drop Star Trek onto their own thing, but they're not even rolling out in various different countries yet with with Paramount Plus. I'm like do you, are we just are we just using a Ouija board here? Do you guys have any kind of a plan? <laughs> Well, that, that's the thing. But the thing that you have to take into account, I really believe this. The, those those companies have smart people, you know, and they're trying to figure it out every day as they go forward. And so they make some decisions that don't work so well now. That doesn't mean that six months from now they don't make adjustments and, and it works. You know, they're constantly changing. Yeah. So a lot of stuff we see, we say, God, that doesn't make any sense to us at all. But that doesn't mean that they aren't going to sustain. I mean, they, they're, they're trying to figure it out, too. Yeah, nobody can pick a hit song. In advance. They just never know. No. Yeah, I think that's true. I, it, it, just, it just boggles my mind. I, I look at this stuff and I'm thinking, there is I, none of this. Maybe it's just me and I'm, I'm old enough now that it's it's a little bit harder for me to wrap my head around the logic behind some of these decisions because some of these decisions don't make very much sense just if you if you look at it um this you know it's like what we talked about over on H2O sometimes don't look too hard at the plot because <laughs> because it starts to fall apart and I, I, I would venture to say that looking at business, sometimes it's, it's that same way too. Don't look too hard at the plot because it falls exactly. apart because it doesn't make any sense. But I do think that scale matters, you yeah. know? So, so, you know, Disney or Sony or any of the big players, they have an advantage that nobody else has. And that's, you know, a stream of income that they can deploy however they want to. And it's really hard to compete against them. Funny, you really should, hard. Funny you should mention that. I mean, their yeah. their stock is is doing okay right now, 156, you know, per share. But uh, recently, the chatter online has been about their Galactic Cruiser attraction, their Galactic Star Cruiser attraction, which is hemorrhaging reservations. Original, I mean, March, April, May. You're looking at those times. About right now, they're about half booked and a lot of that is going away we booked it and now we're canceling our reservations now whether it's you know omicron pandemic or whatever or the fact that you're going to be spending probably upwards of six thousand dollars for two days there and people are sitting there going you know it's not worth it you know the the publicity material that was put out Got got raked over the coals, got completely trashed, has been deleted, has been ratioed. This is this looks like this looks like cosplay fan fiction that's put together in the backyard barn, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, that's a revenue stream for Disney that doesn't look like it's gonna do what they want it to do. So even even the big companies, if they have something that's almost you would think it's a guaranteed hit. I mean, this is Star Wars. And they have mismanaged it so badly over the last however many when, when did they they nine years now they bought they bought Lucasfilm in in 2012 has it really been that long? But you can make a lot of mistakes in the business world, and one or two really good uh, decisions can sustain you. <laughs> I know it's just really funny. <laughs> you look at the number. I think I've talked about this before, but I read an article about Mariah Carey and the uh, the song, you know, All I Need for Christmas is You. You know, that's, oh, that's been her song for 25 years. But just her chunk of the royalties on that song have been almost $100 million over the years. I mean, you yeah. think about that. So does it really matter what else she does in her life? I mean, that that that's her bread and butter on yeah. one song is the bread and butter for the rest of her life. Yeah. Companies are a lot like that, too. Sometimes, you know, they'll create one super product that generates massive amounts of revenue. They can make a lot of mistakes on other stuff and they'll still be fine. 
Yeah. Uh, it, it, it seems odd, but it is true. Well, and, and what about, so it talks about Bob Chapek not having a good reputation among the parks thing. And, of course, we've talked about this in various different streams about his business decisions and his approach and, and the contracts and all of this. What does it mean for Kathleen Kennedy and all these different things? Um, but now you have Susan Arnold as chair of the board. Bob Iger is gone. Because right. it's January. It's 2022. Bob Iger is done. <clears throat> Maybe. Right? Well, I think it looks like he might come back. <laughs> I, you know, it, I wouldn't be surprised if something were to happen and suddenly Iger comes back in some way, shape, or form. But, you know, we now have somebody in charge, you know, some new person in charge of the board. You've got Chapek in as CEO. And Cameron Pasha was on. He was talking about the fact that that Susan Arnold is in Chapek's corner. She was one of the people who was instrumental in getting him named as CEO. And you look at some of the other people that are coming on board in executive positions in the C-suite. They're not entertainment Hollywood people. They're business needs to make profit people. So it's going to be real interesting to see how that plays out against... Yeah. You know, the 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 Scarlett Johansons and the Hugh Jackmans and and how do we keep our talent happy? You know, you talk about talent and jumping ship, Christopher Nolan leaving Warner Brothers going over to Universal over this whole day and date thing. So that'll be interesting to watch, I think. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I, I it's absolutely right. And but you know, again, fashion changes. Uh, you know, the the top stars today, Scarlett Johansson. As much as I love her, you know, honestly, five years from now, there'll be some new Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. It's it's there's a fashion to it. Yeah. You'll be able to hire Scarlett for scale. <laughs> it does kind of happen that way, and it's not it just true. I don't choose her. Just because of a gender issue, I mean, it's the same thing is true with oh, yeah. male stars. Yeah, you know, it just, Chris it's... Evans will be the same way at some point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is okay. This is a question that I have not asked before. I'm, I'm I want to try to kind of circle into this. What stocks are you guys looking at now that f- feel relatively safe, attractive, and and again? You know, disclaimer, this is not official investing advice. This is just, hey, what do you, what's what's on your radar? I've been mainly, I don't really make have retail accounts anymore, but I've been really looking at the ones that have high dividends, pipeline companies, some of the oil partnerships. Some, I think, I think uh, oil has itself ingrained real thoroughly around the world to be yeah. real steady and grow for some years to come. So it's a dividend play and interest rates are probably going to, uh, well, they're not going to stay here forever. No, I think the interest rate thing is, I mean, clearly the the low interest rates have propped up the stock market in a huge way. Um, And, you know, there's an argument to be made where in some cases we're kind of in unknown territory. We have stocks at massively high valuations and you have interest rates at zero, and it, it, it's hard to see how this all unwinds without there being some blood in the streets. But that, having said all that, that doesn't give you any timing indication at all. I mean, that could be no. five years from now, seven years from now, 10 years from now. Yeah. It's just that we're in a very unusual place right now. And uh, I, so we tend to use funds more than we do uh, individual securities. So, you know, we own index funds. Uh, we're very careful about the allocation. And like Matt said, you know, we have some utility type stock funds and things like that that we're using instead of bonds in, in accounts because they're generating dividends and bonds aren't generating interest. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think it's a really good time to be kind of an asset allocator you know, having a mix of stocks and bonds and indexes and things like that. Um, but probably broad diversification is good for you. I, one of the things that we looked at, you had a list of tech uh, stocks and how they did last year. You know, and we, they, they range from down 32%, which was discovery, mm-hmm. uh, to a few that were up, uh, uh, oh, Alphabet was up 60%. 
But the interesting thing there is, you know, just the S&P 500 index fund uh, was up 27% last year. And that outperforms almost all of them, <laughs> almost all of the individual stocks. Yeah. And uh, the increase in market cap, uh, how does that compare to uh, the amount of money that was put into that the Fed put into the system this last year? I bet it's about a one for one. Oh, yeah. Like that's interesting. Study that, so oh, yeah. Good. OK. Well, that, next time. That makes sense. Because so these days they're going to stop putting money into the economy like this. I, you know. I know there are people who make their millions by being very concentrated, but for me and my clients, um, the diversification has been a real boon over time. Yeah. You actually get better performance with a lot less volatility. And so that's kind of the way we approach investing because we aren't, we aren't gamblers. We aren't high rollers. Our clients aren't gamblers or high rollers. Um, And so, um, yeah, I mean, there's some opportunities out there in individual securities but even that being the case, I'm probably not going to own a bunch of them. Yeah. Well, and, and you look at something like this with IDW. I mean, uh, you know, it's it almost seems like this is ripe for that same kind of situation we saw with GameStop and AMC and, you know, the short selling and, and that sort of thing where, you know, the 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 Reddit crowd and the retail investors could jump on this thing and suddenly, you know, six months from now, IDW could be at $200 a share. Well, let's look up the short interest on that. <laughs> it's take a little while to do it, but, uh, that's the, I'll yeah, that's the GameStop the thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Robert has got a question, which is better oil majors or high dividend midstream partners? Well, I think the majors are, they're set forever. I mean, with the current, political administrations around the world yeah and they're, they're trying to wipe out all the smaller ones midstream i i don't i don't really know uh, uh but yeah i think the major ones the government's going to protect them for a long time you know exxon a year ago lost 20 billion dollars that i assume they'll end up making 40 billion this year so dan do you have any thought on that yeah i, I mean you know that's just a supply and demand thing as far as i'm concerned you know they're so they're trying to yeah, so. at, well that's it exactly and there is a limited amount of oil in the ground and there are a limited number of people who can take it out yeah. and it looks to me like we're going to be dependent on it for some time going forward no matter how hard they try to change that so and oil discoveries this last year it was the lowest in 75 years for new oil discoveries because nobody's doing they know where some is and they're going to suck it out of the ground and get top dollar for it now so they're just not finding any more right now and i know some people think that's great but it's not (laughs) yeah um i actually have uh, a son-in-law who was uh, in the oil industry until you know nobody was in the oil industry and now he's (laughs) moved on to something else but You know, that used to be part of his job. He would travel around the world. Uh, you know, he, he had stories of living six months in the rainforest while they did seismic readings and stuff uh-huh. to try to find oil. But that's just gone away today. When, when yeah. oil is selling at low prices, nobody's out exploring. And well, that, that's so the case. Much of the, well, they know so much production is just restricted. I mean, you can't, right. you can't really look on new places right now. Right. It's yeah. hard to drill a well. Well, speaking of top dollar, let's uh, let's mention that we do have a tip jar, uh, a PayPal account. If anybody wants to support us, of course, super chats are always welcome. Never expected or or uh, an obligation or anything. So if anybody wants to uh, support us that way, we do appreciate it. Matt, Dan, thanks very much for being here. How do how do we uh, how do we find you guys? What's the what's the let's let's do the sales pitch here on the way out. Well, yeah. I'm kind of a anonymous, so <laughs> I, by law, kind of need to remain that way. So. Right. Yeah. Um, mine is uh, either Dan Danford, which is really easy. It sounds like you stutter or Family Investment Center and uh, on the website. And uh, if you have questions or queries, I'm glad to you know get back to you if you send them to me. So always glad to hear from you. All right, and we do want to remind everyone that coming up on Saturday, oh, I had the wrong time on that. I got to fix that. Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern, not 1 p.m., 
Uh, Good Morning Multiverse is back. And then at 1 p.m. Eastern, Foreign Bodies. We've got a new uh, discussion of horror coming up. Those shows on Saturday. And uh, all of the returning dates there. We've got Good Morning Multiverse, Foreign Bodies on Saturday. Salacious Crumbs and Triple Bites. We will carve those out of Good Morning Multiverse and drop those on Sunday the 9th. And then next Monday the 10th, the H2O podcast is back with a discussion of some New Year's resolutions. And we've got some different things going on there. Uh, So we do hope you join us for all of that. Dan Danford, Matt Stevens, thanks very much for being here, gentlemen. Okay. Thanks, Happy New Year. And uh, so far right now, looks like the gremlins have left us alone. So we're going to kick them out and we're going to go swap out the router. And all of you, thank you very much for being here. If you are new to the channel, we do uh, invite you to subscribe, have your notifications turned on. Feel free to share this or any other video that you want to, uh, to give to other people and let them know about us. We're slowly eking out 2,000 subscribers. We're getting close. So uh, check us out here and over on Odyssey as well. Thanks all of you in the chat for your comments and conversations. And we will do this all again tomorrow. Christopher Hoffman will be here interviewing Zach Skig. He is of the Skig Brothers. They are directing... Uh, they have directed. There's a new movie that's coming out tomorrow. Monsters in the Closet. It's a horror anthology. We're also going to be talking to Hasmin Flores, who is one of the stars. So that's tomorrow here at Live from the Bunker. So we do hope you join us for that. And we will be back. We're done. Remember a couple of things. We're talking about New Year's resolutions. Don't make promises you can't keep, especially to yourself. And remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.